Amen. Please remain standing and hear the words of our God from Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 29 through 32, and these are the words of God. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. These are God's words to us. Let's ask his blessing. Father in heaven, help us now by your Holy Spirit to hear these words, to meditate and consider them for ourselves, and especially not to consider them for someone else. Let us be honest with you and be free from the sin of bitterness. Do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I want to take a couple of weeks and uh, um, not return to the Gospel of John. In the next couple of weeks, I'd just like to handle a couple of practical Christianity issues that I think are important for us to consider and reconsider often. And the sin of bitterness is one of them. Bitterness is probably one of the trickiest sins to see in yourself. Bitterness is not necessarily something that is difficult to see in others. But bitterness is often difficult to see in yourself. While other sins that I have committed may come to mind as I do my confession of sin, right before God, I, I, can, I can see those sins oftentimes. Bitterness causes me instead to dwell on other people's sins. Isn't that right? When I'm, uh, when I'm guilty, I feel guilt over my sin. When I'm bitter, I'm not even aware of that sin. I'm, I'm actually aware of other people's sins. That's why I'm bitter. And so bitterness causes me to dwell on other people's sins. And worse, it can be real sins or just imagined sins. I, I may not have even actually found out whether or not it was a real sin. I've just been hurt and I become bitter thinking about the other person's sin rather than the, my own sin at that very moment. And bitterness is a sin that often destroys marriages and families. One of the reasons it needs to be uh, cast out of homes and relationships quickly and often. Bitterness left in homes and families destroys homes and families. And amidst these intimate and long-term relationships, such as we have in families and in marriages, there runs the risk of bitterness taking root and producing a fruit that defiles many. Sometimes it's not hard to see how bitterness has ruined somebody else. You can see it often in their countenance or in their envy and malicious gossip about others. And oftentimes malicious gossip that is made in, in the name of asking for prayer or in the name of just venting to a friend about a problem you have with another person, often another family member. These are signs of bitterness. And it takes the grace of the Lord to identify one's own bitterness it's not something that we easily can do ourselves. It really does take an honest assessment before God that you must do by his grace in order to see bitterness in yourself. And it is only the work of grace in our hearts by which we can rightly get rid of it all. It's just a side comment. Whenever you go to any verses like the ones that you find in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, these are all the do verses. Do this. Do that. Don't do this. Get rid of that. 
these are chapters filled with commands of things that you must do and things you cannot do. Things you cannot do unless you believe and have received chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians. Unless the grace of God has been granted to you, unless you know that you've been forgiven for your sins, unless you know the, the reviving work of the Holy Spirit and the joy of salvation and forgiveness you can't do, 4, 5, and 6, they will destroy you. But if you know Jesus, if you know as we celebrated in, at Easter his resurrection was for you, as we celebrated in his ascension that his ascension to reign is to reign over you, that, that in the celebration of Pentecost that that is his delight poured out and in you, then in that grace and in that power and in that knowledge, oh, you can and you must obey. You must do the things that he has said to do. And you must stop doing the things that he has commanded you not to do. Not only is it grievous to his name, but it is destruction for your soul not to. So look at these verses with that in mind. The grace of God to say to you, yes, I'm speaking to you. The grace of God to say and point out to you, yes, this is what I'm talking about to you in your life. The grace of God to hear from him, and I have all you need to walk away from that. I have all you need to put off and to put on according to my strength and power at work in you. Verse 29, as, as I read, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That word corrupt is the word um, rotten or decayed or, or full of decaying um, poison. Let no poisonous word proceed out of your mouth that rots others, that poisons others, but what is instead good for necessary edification, for building them up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. This should be the description of the words from a Christian's mouth, from your mouth. Words come out of your mouth are full of edification and grace, not full of poison. This is what makes us stand differently as Christians. Here is the measure of what should come out of your mouth. Your words should edify and impart grace. Always. If you find yourself trying to justify your corrupt speech because of what he did, or because of what she said, or the way he looked when he said it, then you are bitter. That's why that's going on. He goes on in verse 30 and he says, Let, um, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is part of the reason that we know, this verse is one of the reasons we know that the Spirit is a person and not just simply a power. You, you, you can't grieve a power, <laughs> but you can grieve a person. You can grieve your friend, the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the person who indwells you, the Holy Spirit, by your actions and by your words. What you say and how you act, whether you obey or not, these, these things affect God's relationship towards you. It is possible to grieve him. His spirit is with you always. You can't ask him to leave while you have, have your little pity party or your little tantrum or your little bitterness time. You can't ask him to leave. He is always with you, but you can grieve him. He's always with you when you're speaking to your spouse, your children, your parents, your siblings, or anyone else. And then in verse 31, he says, let all bitterness be put away. Or um, in the NIV, it says, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of it. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get rid of it. And, and bitterness grows out this sense of being wronged. 
again, real or imagined, by someone else. That's where bitterness happens. It happens from being wronged. You believe you've been wronged, real or imagined, by someone else. You've been hurt. Either way, this bitterness that you have is self-deceiving from the start. You may think that you are angry on account of the wickedness of the sin of another. Have you thought that? I am angry because of the wickedness of the sin of another. But I'm not sure that's really why you are angry. I think I can prove that to you in just a moment. Bitterness does not depend on how magnanimous the sin is. How angry are you about the actions, for instance, of Putin today in eastern Ukraine? Does he just get under your skin and make you just bitter? No. You're not personally offended, are you? It's not about the magnanimousness of the sin. You think it is, and that's that just self-justifying, self-deceiving part. Rather, bitterness depends on how close the sin is to you. How close the sin is to you. And it is amazing how bitter one can get over the most petty sins. And yet still have this self-righteous, I deserve better attitude. This is why so often it is found in a marriage or in a family. Because they're close to you. Because their sins usually bump up against you. They didn't bump up against eastern Ukraine. They bumped up against you. Notice that uh, in this verse also says, uh, be rid of or let all bitterness and evil and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness is a wicked sin. It's, It's in this list along with anger and clamor and evil speaking. And anger is connected to murder by Jesus. Bitterness is oftentimes... Um, we, we, we have this self-justifying attitude that we're allowed to be bitter. We don't think of it. We think of it as kind of a clean sin. Again, because it's connected to what someone else did to me. But instead, what we should see actually is that bitterness is not just associated with wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. But bitterness is a wicked, wicked sin that brings forth these other more external sins. Bitterness is something taking place on the inside. These other sins are what come forth on the outside. Bitterness doesn't necessarily come out. Oh, you're bitter. What comes out is anger, malice, clamor, hatred, evil speaking. Instead of bitterness, look at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This, this is what makes us stand out as Christian families and as Christian people. This is our ability to do something the world can't do. Like I said, this is, this is a work of God's spirit in us, not something our flesh will ever do. And that is our desire and ability to forgive, to be tenderhearted, to be kind, and in short, to imitate our Savior. Look in the passage to the next couple of verses. Um, the, remember... Um, Chapters and verses aren't in the original verses of the Bible. And so Paul is continuing here, therefore, after all these things I've said, now therefore be imitators of God as dear beloved children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
In other words, when someone hurts you, when someone um, offends you, when someone brings and sins against you, your reaction is to imitate Christ as dearly loved, beloved children. Christ is tenderhearted. Christ is patient. Christ bears with. Christ forgives. Christ forgives immediately. Christ forgives quickly. You're to be imitators as those who are filled with the Spirit of Christ. So this, this, uh, this gives us an ability, and not only an ability, but a desire to do so. An ability and a desire to be like Christ and imitate in this way. You can forgive one another, and you must. Christians, Christians can't say, I can't forgive you. you. You can't say, I can't forgive you. Someone comes and asks for forgiveness, you, what, what are you to do? What did we just pray in the Lord's Prayer? We prayed, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others our trespasses against us. That should just stick in your throat. If, if in any way you think that you can hold back forgiving somebody who has sought forgiveness for you, from you, it, it should stick in your throat even if you haven't been asked for forgiveness. It's possible you haven't been asked for forgiveness because actually you haven't even been sinned against. You've just made this up in your head. It's also possible that you haven't been asked for forgiveness because that person hasn't come to you for forgiveness. But that doesn't give you the right to be ready to forgive, to be, to, to be completely ready to forgive. Again, how is, is Christ, do you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need to ask forgiveness again for sins, and you hear, you know, this is the seventh time today, or this week, or in your life. Or, you know, you've asked for a lot, I've extended a lot of forgiveness. I'm not sure I have any more. Let me go check. Or that offended me so much, and it did offend him so much that he went to the cross. That, that offended me so much, I don't know. Why don't you check with me tomorrow? I have to see if I can get over it. The ability to be back in fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ, a husband and wife, a child and a parent, siblings is as quick as the forgiveness and reconciliation that Jesus Christ has given to you. And to do otherwise is to walk in bitterness. To do otherwise is to walk in bitterness. I have no assurance of my own salvation, of my own salvation if I tenaciously refuse to grant forgiveness to others. If I've been commanded to forgive and I refuse to forgive... I have no assurance of my salvation. I'm not walking in the light. And when we're not walking in the light, how can you know that you're, how, come you, how can you know you're a child of the light if you're not walking in the light? Get out of the darkness and back in the light and into the assurance of your salvation. And when we are wronged, we should remember Thomas Watson's idea. When something terrible has come upon you, and especially when something terrible has come upon you because of what somebody else did, when something terrible comes upon you because of something else somebody else did, Thomas Watson reminds us to, that we, are, we know all about the one who brought this trial to us. I know his name, but we forget the one who sent it. We forget the one who sent it. And we become people who think that we can whine and complain and argue before God. So that's what this passage is about. It's about this gift that God has given you because he gives what he commands. 
And that is the gift to be able to get rid of bitterness. If you don't get rid of bitterness, that root in you will spring up and defile many. I had the privilege of being under the ministry of Jim Wilson, really for 40 plus years. And Jim Wilson, who just passed away, used to preach regularly this, past, this, this topic on how to deal with bitterness. And wherever he went, all over the world, and Jim traveled all over the world, he never found an inopportune time where it wasn't possible to stand up and preach on getting rid of bitterness. And in fact, there were those who needed to hear it. He said over and over again, this is the thing that destroys churches, it destroys families, it destroys people, it destroys individuals in themselves as it eats themselves up. And here it is in the scripture that we, that we are commanded to get rid of it and warnings of what happens if we don't. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at a couple other passages that speak to this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Again, here's the command, not a suggestion from the Lord. Pursue peace with all. Pursue peace with all and holiness. Pursue peace and holiness with all, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So here we see something that the root of bitterness is. It's like a root. It's like a root because it cannot remain hidden forever. And it's like a root because oftentimes bitterness sits inside a person and others can't see it for a time. But it's growing. It's taking control. And it will spring up. If you try to suppress bitterness, if you try to just push it down, I'm bitter, but I'm not going to show it. I'm bitter, but I'm not going to act like it. If you try to do that, then it will defile you. It will defile you. It will defile you emotionally, spiritually, even physically. Where do you think ulcers come from? Where do you think anxiety attacks come from? Where do you think all kinds of physical ailments that seem to come out of the blue? So often they, become, they come out of bitterness. Where does despair, despondency, hatred toward God, lack of trust in God come from? Oftentimes, these are things that come forth because of bitterness that remains in a person. So, if you just stuff it down, if you just stuff it down, then you defile yourself. However, it will always find a place to sprout, and it will defile others. Unbelieving psychology may tell you, now what you need to do is you need to not, to, not suppress that. Unbelieving psychologists will tell you that, that suppressing bitterness is going, to, is, is going to defile you. So what you should do is you should spew it all out and defile everybody else. Get it all out there. But the Word of God says, no, that's not, that, those aren't the only two options. Don't repress bitter, bitterness, it will make you sick. And don't share the bitterness with others, it will make them sick. Instead, get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of the bitterness. Turn to the very next book. Turn to James chapter 3 with me. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, there it is. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. 
The wisdom, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. This is very interesting because oftentimes bitterness, again, bitterness comes with this self-justifying, I am following, I am responding to the breaking of God's holy law by someone else. How dare they break God's holy, especially towards me, right? And, and, what, and so you think this is, this is a judgment that has come down from heaven, this judgment that you have. And yet God is saying, if you seek bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast, you're lying against the truth. It did not come from above, but this descended, um, this, this came from earthly, sensual, demonic uprisings. So your mind, your so-called righteous mind, your righteous mind that cannot have set aside the countless details of another's offenses, because it's right, you're right. They really did that. It's really wrong. God's law says you may not speak that way. You may not act that way. You certainly may not act that way towards me. God's law says so. Your righteous mind is a mind tempted towards bitterness. Your holy heart, full of your devotion to God, that does not want to forgive because it was so offensive to your holy God, is a heart tempted towards bitterness. A soul that covets another spouse's children or spouse, I'm sorry, a soul that, that covets another spouse or children or possessions or circumstances is a soul tempted towards bitterness. In fact, these may not be evidences, evidences of temptation, but rather the real thing, rather the real thing. Let's take a look at a story where an entire people become bitter with God. In Exodus chapter 15, people of Israel gloriously brought out of, the, um, uh, of their bondage, bondage for hundred years, hundreds of years with, um, under, uh, under Pharaoh of Egypt. They're all of a sudden, they're delivered. God miraculously opens the waters of the Red Sea. They walk through an entire army. Um, the, the, s- the strongest army on the face of the earth is destroyed by the hand of God. There's all kinds of celebration. And then they begin to walk through the wilderness and we pick it up in Exodus 15, verse 23. Now, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name, name of it was called Mara. Actually, if you look back in verse 22, something else had already happened. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. They were thirsty. They finally get to some water. Imagine crying out to God. God brings them to water, and the water is bitter. You can't drink it. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, and I'll put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. There's, there's much to be considered there, but one of the things to see is this, how these bitter waters are made sweet. But the bitter waters came in the midst of a sovereign God who can destroy an entire army, who for some reason hasn't provided water for his people for three days. And now he's brought them finally to water like a trick, like a mean trick. And there they are with bitter water. 
which reveals their bitter, selfish heart toward God, their I deserve better attitude towards God, their how come you making life so difficult for me um, uh, attitude towards God. Hard providences are brought to us in life. Hard providences are brought by God. And hard providences can be a terrible, uh, a terrible suffering that you have to go through for a, lot of, a, a long period of time. Hard providences can be, again, that little petty thing that your spouse said to you. <laughs> Oftentimes, that's the test that God has given. Hard providences are, are supposed to drive us to the Lord. We see this as we've been singing through the Psalms. How many times do the psalmist go before the Lord and cry out to the Lord, how long, God, how long until you relieve me from this? How long until you make these things right? There's a, there's a right way to go before the Lord and plead with him for his mercy, plead with him to do things right. But there's a way of accusing the Lord with murmuring and complaining that reveals our self-righteousness, I deserve better, or our lack of trust in God that he's actually there and that he actually cares. Why are you making this, why are you making this so difficult in my life right now? And you don't get an answer? As we learned from Job in the reading this morning, when these hard providences come, we are to have the spirit, we are to have the patience, we are to have the response like Job. Blessed is he who gives. The Lord is the Lord who gives, the Lord who takes away. Blessed is his name. Blessed is his name as he gives, as he takes away. I can only do that if I'm learning to sing the Psalms like the psalmist. Instead, when things get bitter, I cry out to the Lord with anger even at him. And in the story of the Israelites at the bitter waters of Marah, we are to see that God makes bitter waters sweet. He is gracious. He is gracious. He had been gracious with them, getting them out of Egypt. How many times has God been gracious to you? Can you make a list of all the gracious answers to prayer that God has brought to you? Can you make a list of all of the times that God has been, has been gracious to you? Can you do that? more easily than you can make a list of the things God hasn't done for you that you wish that he would? Which list is before you most often? The list of the bitter waters that are still before you or the list of the sweet waters that he has brought to you time and time and time again? The grace that he's brought to you daily to walk with whatever trials is that upon your mind? Is that upon our mind? When it is upon our mind, it protects us from becoming bitter. When it's not upon our mind, we become bitter, and we even become bitter at God. How dare he make my life so difficult? And so, we are told back in Ephesians to get rid of all bitterness. All of it. We're to get rid of all bitterness. It's, it, it's, it's not like you get an average you know, I hit 230 on getting rid of bitterness. It's not good enough. Just get rid of all of it. Are you bitter? Here are some tests. Can you remember the details of another's sin, real or imagined, for weeks and years? Are you unwilling to prepare to forgive, or at least unwilling to prepare to forgive, only and until he says that he is sorry and he really means it, and I get to judge whether he really means it. Do you know how many times that she did that last week? Or since you have known him, 
Can you count how many times you have patiently forgiven? I have patiently forgiven. Can you list all the reasons that your anger or your bitterness is justified? If any of these are hitting you, then you're caught up in the sin of bitterness. What are you to do? How do you get rid of bitterness? Well, you get rid of bitterness the same way you get rid of any other sin. You confess your bitterness. Now, the sin of bitterness is a sin that is to be confessed to God. Of course, all of our sins are to be confessed to God, but I, I don't think there's really much time or circumstance for you to confess your bitterness to someone else, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Um, confessing your, your bitterness to someone else um, actually can be a very self-justifying act. Your, conf- your bitterness is to be confessed to God and God alone. And First John, we are told that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if, sin is a, if, if bitterness is a sinful, wicked root inside you, you need it pulled out so you can be cleansed with the righteousness of another one, cleansed from all that unrighteousness. And so the only way to get rid of bitterness is to confess it as sin before the Lord. And this must be done without regard to anyone else's sin. So even as you're before God, you cannot confess God to God. God, I confess to you my sin because my husband did all these terrible things. Did I mention to you that my husband did all these terrible things that made me bitter? I'm confessing all of that to you. That's not confessing bitterness. That's trying to confess someone else's sin. <laughs> Confession of sin is before God, I have done this. And it's wicked before your sight. I've had this attitude and you hate it. And Jesus judged it on the cross, died for that sin. And I thank you that I confess it and be be done with it. With nothing to do with anybody else. Only when your eyes are firmly on your own sin will you be able to be free from bitterness. And so you, you realize you're convicted that you're bitter. You get down, you confess and you don't get up until you are, not, you are able to get up without saying, I confess my bitterness. I, I, I did these things out of that bitterness. I confess all of it is sin. became turned into wrath and anger and malice. I confess all of it is bitter. And then you get up and you say, but you know what he did. You, you know, God. Jim Wilson uh, gives examples of getting back on his knees at that moment and confessing the bitterness again. Till it's gone. And getting up again, you thought, think it's gone, and then saying, okay, I confess my bitterness, but you and I, God, you, you and I really know who's the one that's really, that's really at fault. Back down. Until between you and the Lord, you know that your bitterness was an offense to him, and that's all you're talking about. That confession of bitterness is simply between you and God. You confess, uh, so you, you cannot connect the dots in your confession of their sin with your confession. That's just justifying the sin. And that's why so many times people will say, I've tried to confess my bitterness and it won't go away. Well, that's because you've been trying to connect your bitterness to what was done to you. You're trying to confess someone else's sin. And until you confess your sin, plain and simple, You, your relationship with God, it doesn't get pulled out. So, confess the bitterness to God, 
and confess the external outworkings of that bitterness to the one you have harmed. You confess the, uh, the cursing words. You confess the foul language. You confess the anger. You confess the outbursts of anger. You confess the clamor, the wrath. You confess all of that to the person that your bitterness brought forth these other sins. But you don't confess the anger. Again, you don't say, I need to ask your forgiveness because I was so angry at you. Because you did. That's not confession. You confess the anger to them. You confess the clamor to them. You confess the evil speaking to them. You confess the raising your voice to them as your own sin, period. You don't give reason for it. And you just simply ask for forgiveness. And then you're so excited because you've asked for forgiveness and you've done it all right. And then don't blow it at that moment and go, okay, I'm giving you opportunity now. <laughs> that means you haven't disconnected again. You have not disconnected your sin from someone else's. We don't disconnect your sin from someone else's. You don't get really clean. You don't get really clean. Time doesn't remove bitterness, so you can't just wait, let it sit down there forever. Someone else's confession, in fact, does not remove bitterness. Do you know that? So the sin that was done against you, someone might come to you, they might ask for forgiveness. <laughs> and maybe you even go through the motion and you say, I forgive you, but I'm going to remember this. First of all, you haven't forgiven and you're bitter still. Even confession by someone else for their sin, which is another proof that the bitterness doesn't really have anything to do with their sin. It has to do with your self-righteousness. We're such self-righteous people. Confession of your own sin of bitterness and repentance by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to be cleansed of this poison. Amy Carmichael writes, For a cup brimful of sweet water cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, however suddenly jolted. So you've been, you're walking through life, you're just going through your day, you're not bothering anybody, and he or she comes and bumps you. What spills out? Well, whatever spills out has nothing to do with them bumping you. If sweet water spills out, that's because you were filled with the sweetness and the joy of the Lord. If, if, Bitter water spills out is because you're full of bitterness. When you're bumped, what, is, what, bumps, what comes out of you? What will spill out to those around you? So you have to deal with your bitterness. And I know, I mean, it, it goes through your mind. You, you, you go, okay, I follow this, and mm, yeah, I need to take care of that. But you still are saying, but they sinned. But they sinned. Don't I need to reveal to them how they sinned? And the answer is maybe, but not while you're bitter. Not while you're bitter. Jesus makes this very clear. He, he says in, in, in Matthew um, 7, 3 through 5, he says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Our application here is their little petty sin that, is, that you see straight in their eye, but you don't see the plank of bitterness in your eye, mostly because you've become so accustomed to that plank, you actually think that's the way you look at the world and the way the world looks. And again, you know what I'm talking about. You know bitter people, there are bitter people, and everything around them, always, the bitterness, they see it through this lens of bitterness. It's always a complaint. It's always not right. It's always an offense to them. They're always getting the short end of the deal. You know those people. You know those people who go um, to restaurant after restaurant after restaurant and restaurant, and for some reason, they always get the worst waiters. Well, he didn't get the worst waiters. 
they were the worst customer time and time and time and time again. You know those people. So the bitterness is, the bitterness is, is not a little speck. It's a plank. Jesus goes on. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, Jesus says. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So their sin is no excuse for yours. Their, their speck in their eye is no excuse for you to hold a plank. Yours is greater, in fact, as you stand before a holy God, because it is your sin that he will judge before you and not theirs. You will not be judged for their sin. <laughs> so why are, you, why are you considering it? You'll be judged for yours. And you are not qualified to help. You cannot see straight to help until you have dealt with yourself first. Galatians 6 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness which you cannot do if you're bitter, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So if you get up from your confession of sin and say something like, but they, then you haven't gotten the plank out of your eye. And you need to get back down and confess some more. You have to get rid of your bitterness first. So how do I protect myself from the sin of bitterness? How do I protect from myself from this, this thing getting inside of me and, and starting to grow? Here's some, here's some advice from the Word of God. It is the grace of God that protects us from this carnal way of life, and it is a way of the flesh. It is not spiritual. The means of that grace includes things like keeping short accounts, super important in homes particularly. Your household and other relationships, so this could be coworkers, this could be your superiors at work, this could be the, your subordinates at work, this could be your, your friends, your neighbors, particularly it happens in, in, in the family, in the home, because we're together so much of the time in life. Your household must regularly be fumigated of unconfessed sin, so that it would smell of mercy and forgiveness again. Do these verses describe your home? If not, your home needs to be fumigated of sin. Confession of sin needs to take place. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Why? For love will cover a multitude of sins. Colossians 3, 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You know what all three of those verses have in common? All three of those, all three of those verses have absolutely no application if there's not sin taking place in your home. There is sin taking place in your home. Of course there are. There are sinners living there. And the biggest one is the one you see when you look in the mirror. There are sinners living in your home. What are you to do? Well, you could get bitter and kind of keep track of who's sinned the most. Or you could follow Christ and be merciful. Or you could follow Christ and, and let love cover a multitude of sins because you have fervent love because Christ has placed that love in your heart. Or you could bear with one another. You could bear with one another and forgive one another and be tender-hearted towards one another and with whatever complaint you might have towards another, even as Christ forgave you with all of any complaint that he could bring, so you also must forgive. As you come to worship with others, you must be clean and at peace with one another first. Please do not tithe at this church if you are bitter. 
please do not bring your offerings to this church. God doesn't want them if you are bitter. Jesus says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. To do otherwise is to try to buy off God. He will not be bought off. He only gives. Gives free grace and forgiveness for you to be able to get rid of that bitterness. Growing contentment. Envy produces bitterness. We saw that in James 3. And, in, and this bitterness enslaves you no matter what. On the flip side, contentment is the gift of God in all circumstances and is to be cultivated by faith. Contentment is, contentment is not based on your circumstances. Would you please write that into your brain, all of us? Contentment is not based upon your circumstances. Contentment is based upon faith in the goodness of God in the midst of any circumstance. Paul would write, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me says a man who was stoned and dragged out of the city of Lystra considered to be dead when his friends came and helped him to get up. He didn't flee to the next city, but in turn instead walked right back into the city to preach the gospel again. Contentment, regardless of circumstances, is the greatest, the greatest protection against bitterness. And it's something you have to cultivate. And finally, one more verse. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things to God. I went and checked the Greek carefully, and I found that this verse means giving thanks always for all things to God. Thankfulness for everything that comes to you is the measure of whether or not you believe in the Reformed doctrines of grace and God's exhaustive sovereignty. Do you believe that God is exhaustively sovereign, do you believe that God is exhaustively and absolutely good? Well, the test comes as we give thanks for God always for all things. Trust in God's perfect character, absolute sovereignty over your specific life circumstances, and his goodness that all things will in fact truly work out for good when you can't see how in the world that could possibly happen. That's what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what allows us to be free of this fleshly trap of being bitter people. God makes sweet the waters of bitterness, but you must come to him in repentance and faith. Christ died for your bitterness and his grace is sufficient to change how you feel and what you must do. Do not think I could never be free from this bitterness because I've been bitter over this situation my entire life. You can be free today. You can be free today from any bitterness. Because Christ's grace is sufficient. Christ's blood is sufficient. Christ's spirit is sufficient. And you are Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, deal with me. Deal with me, not the other person. Deal with my sin. Let us be a people free from bitterness, full of long-suffering love and forgiveness,
Let us be like Jesus, for we ask it in his name. Amen.